this evening. We worship your holy name. We hallow your name. We thank you, Lord, for being our God, our Savior, our guide, our provider, our healer, our protector. Spirit of the living God, we welcome you into this atmosphere. Have your way. Teach us. Teach us your word. Bring revelation and understanding. May we receive the revealed word in our current situation and circumstance. We thank you for relevance of your word in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We are, our manner of life includes fasting. We are blessed, amen. It is a blessing. It is a blessing. And I pray that it's not just part of our manner of life, but I pray that it is affecting us, spirit, soul, and body. Amen. Yeah. How many of you know that the blessings, one day we have to go again through fasting. The blessings of fasting is spirit, soul, and body. Yes. So don't deceive yourself at all that certain areas of your life don't need it. Every area of your life. There's a lot of junk in your brain that if you fasted enough, it will get rid of it. There's one thing about fasting that it can empty you of heaviness. It can empty you. You see, when you are fasting, your capacity even to get angry for long is limited. Because you have to use the energy one way or the other. <laughs> you have to conserve it. Yeah, it's when you're full that you can just be fighting by heart. And be like, <laughs> I don't know why people are trying to say in my message, but how many of you have realized that? Yeah, I mean, how you'd have reacted in a shop, how you'd have reacted to the driver, how you would have reacted. You know, some of you, you have issues with your housemate. They didn't wash their dishes. They didn't leave. The, they left this. When you're really fasting and you go and you see that, you just move it to one side. They themselves don't know you're fast because like, hey, she didn't shout. He didn't shout. But it's part of our manner of life. Amen. My prayer is that today we'll do the last few. We'll do one or two. And then we'll bring it to amen. a we'll bring it to a pause. Amen. Everybody say amen. So I remember we hear it and also say amen. Amen. See, we have to defend. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. So today we'll add two more. Because how many of you realize that as for our manner of life, it's from A to Z, isn't it? Yeah, so we'll put a pause on it, and then we'll continue, and then we'll capture a few more. My prayer is that we are being transformed and affected, and we are applying it to our lives. Do you understand? Yes. You know, it's a travesty when you know what to do and you don't do. Yeah, I learned it from Reverend. Travesty, travesty. Yes. Yeah. Not not, not from Pastor Sam. (laughs) I will not get involved in this conversation. Acts 20, 18, Paul said, and when they arrived, he said to them, you yourselves are well acquainted with my manner of living among you from the first day that I set foot in the province of Asia and how I continued afterward. Amen. Amen. And I told you that all of us, we have a manner of life. Good, bad, ugly, we do. Amen. It doesn't matter how erratic it may be, we have it, and our manner of life is constituted of our habits, our customs, our beliefs, do you get it? Shapes us, controls us, rules us. All of us are ruled by something. something. You see, when you hear atheist and agnostic, it's like, you know, we have to have freedom and it has to be liberty. You see, even in, that, in their saying of that, they are still controlled. It's just that it's not by God or the word of God. Or oh, you don't understand what I'm saying? Yes, yes, yes. There are people who are extremely intelligent, but their week, their year, their month is controlled by their star sign. Do you understand? But they'll say they are liberated, they are free, but they are not free. Because all it takes, I was going to say a fool, but I won't say a fool. All it takes is for somebody to write something about that star sign, and then you're in trouble. Do, do you get what I'm saying? So I think that we should thank God. You see, that's why Paul was saying that he would rather be a slave, do you understand, to the things of God than be, you, you serve somewhere. 
Do you understand? You'll be subject somewhere. Sometimes you find where uh, 21st century women who are like, you know, this submission, whatever, there's equality, there's this, there's that. But go and see them at work. They are fully submitted to an ungodly man. Oh, you don't get what I'm saying. <laughs> do you get what I'm saying? <laughs> Please, today is Wednesday. Can you allow me to do it? Yeah, yeah. But when the scripture, as soon as they hear efficient, they'll be shaking and gyrating. But when they go to work, they are submitted. And maybe it's a complete fool. We all have a manner of life. And now we have to be conscious what our manner of life is. And where there needs to be transformation, there has to be. Where there needs to be improvement, there has to be. And everybody's manner of life, as a Christian, must always be geared going more and more towards God. Becoming more and more like him. Do you, do you get it? That you shouldn't be, there shouldn't be retrogression. But some today my English is landing. Yes, yes, re- retrogression. Yeah. That's the right word, isn't it? Used in the right context. Yeah. It's the first thing is working, I tell you. <laughs> My brain is devoid of foolishness. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's also one of the liberations of life. And for some of you, you've heard me say it over again. The greatest blessing is to identify your own foolishness and deal with it. There's nothing like somebody telling you you're a fool. Even though it may be true. Do you understand? The greatest place for it to come from is from you. Because there's less resistance. Who are you going to resist? <laughs> Reverend Gloria preaching. Reverend Gloria, yes, yes. You see, when 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 you are able to, you, you know, relate with yourself in such a truthful way, you you mature, you get better, and you do well. Yeah. Because foolishness from another person being being identified by it's very painful, especially when it's true. And you see, instead of accepting, they say you shouldn't have used those words. You could have reworded it, and you could have been more. You see, so tell yourself you can look in the mirror do you understand you can go for a job interview get out and know tell yourself gee (laughs) rather than wait to get a letter for them to explain to you your foolishness (laughs) a few weeks ago i was doing an interview and this lady came she has a master she has this she has this and she started and, you know, there were two people on the panel. Well, one was like a training manager one. And this woman started talking, you know, as they talk. Then at a point, apparently, according to the rest of the panel, they said they can tell exactly it was about seven minutes when me, I switched off. And so they were trying to engage the lady to realize that, come back on track, come back on track, because you have lost the person. And she didn't even get it. Yeah. So she realized that as soon as she finished all her talking for about 45 minutes, I asked her, do you have any question? She said, no. I said, great. We'll see you. So as soon as she left the place, and then the other two said, she's not getting the job she is. I said, why are you saying that? They said they could tell on my face that it didn't go far. I said, if she had asked me how it went, I would have told her. The next time you go for an interview, wait to be asked question, then you answer. And when you answer, wait for the next question. I mean, she would talk. I think she thought she was in the guest house or something. She would talk and then ask herself a question, then she would answer. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Such a person, she should be able to get into her car or whatever and say, that was a foolish. I pray that our beliefs, our customs, our habits will conform to his. Hallelujah. Last week, we were looking at being joyfully selfless, isn't it? Yeah. One of the greatest tools we have to transform our manner of life is the word of God. Is the word of God. One of the great. It's not the internet. You see, some people's lives are transformed by the internet, by our social influences. If they tell us we should eat this, we should drink this, we should wear this, then we follow. But the best person to lead us and the best source of transformation and guidance is the word of God. Amen. And that comes above everything. You see, it's good to listen to preaching, teaching. I think this house, we have some of the best messages. I absolutely. But if you are listening to messages without taking the Bible, you are in trouble. 
Don't let the Bible be replaced by anything. Everything else is expounding, explaining, adding to help you understand scripture. Oh, you don't get what I'm saying? Tell somebody, did you hear her? You see, because otherwise we become lazy Christians. We never read the Bible for ourselves. We never look into that word. We don't. Do you understand? So everything is the one that somebody else... Which I've had to study to come and try and explain this to you. Or you don't get what I'm saying. And you also have to go and read scripture. So that even what you are hearing from the pulpit, your spirit will agree with it. Because it has... You know, I think it was last week, was it Sandra who came to me and she was like, that was the passage I was reading. You could see she was really excited. It was the same verses, but because she had looked into her word and she has come to church and the word of God has lined up with what she was reading, she, there's no way she can say she can ignore it because God is speaking to her on that way. Oh, you don't get what I'm saying? May it be your portion. Amen. Today I want us to look at two really nice ones. Today we are going to look at, what number are we on? Okay, uh, don't give me your number. Everybody's on there. Reverend keeps going back. He can count up to nine, then come back to five. He thinks won't finish. We'll finish one day. <laughs> yeah. When we get to him, he's like, amazing. Can you do a few more? Amazing. But today, the whole congregation, I'm giving you 30. Hey, then that one, unless uh, 20, 25. Hey, Reverend, you can't do that. Can we all plead on our behalf that? <laughs> Compassion. Amen. Compassion. Compassion. Manner of life. Compassion. As I was just reading on this, I came to discover a few things about it, and I will share it with you. So what does compassion mean? It means to suffer together. To suffer together. It means a strong feeling of sympathy, concern, which causes you to feel what someone else is feeling. And wanting to help. Let me give you that again because every word there is important when we um, compare it to a few other things. A strong feeling of sympathy, concern, which causes you to feel what someone else is feeling and want to help. Putting yourself in someone's shoes and feeling for them with a desire to help. So one of the cardinal things about compassion is that there's a development to assist. It doesn't necessarily mean you assist, but there's a desire. As you see the suffering, you see the situation, you, are, you want to help. It doesn't mean you help. <laughs> do you understand? A desire to assist. Do, do, do you get what I'm saying? There are two words that sort of tie in together and sometimes they are interchanged, but actually each of them have a slight different connotation and we have to understand that all three must work. Do you understand? One of the things that is used a lot now in our world is empathy. Empathy. So the, first, the thing about empathy is that it has everything like compassion, apart from that last bit, a desire to help. So empathy is just having the feeling. Do you understand? Being concerned, acknowledging somebody's situation, putting yourself, you know, you empathize. You've maybe lost a loved one. You empathize. Maybe you've lost your job. Do you understand? You've gone through a certain, I, I feel what you're going through, you know, you have been ostracized. Today the words are coming. I tell you. Those of you who don't understand, just pretend like you understand. Say, yeah, ostracized. <laughs> <laughs> Empathy is the ability to understand and to share what someone is feeling. So you share in the feeling. It's not that you're going to do anything necessarily at all. Emotionally understanding and imagining what it feels. So empathy is almost the starting point where, oh, at least, because there are some people, they don't have empathy. Forget about compassion. They don't even have empathy. Snap out of it. Get out, you know. 
What is not such a big deal? We have all suffered the suffering before. You know, maybe somebody who has been divorced for 10 years and then you are going through your divorce. Divorce, do you know how? We have seen big, big divorce. No empathy. Do, 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 do you get it? Yeah. Yeah. And as a Christian, these things must be part of your lifestyle. Do you understand? Because if you don't, first of all, even understand and don't emotionally get what people are going through, you're not moving. That's why, do you know that now the message of salvation is dying off? Because we can't even imagine that hell is real. And if we don't share the gospel, that is where some will end up in. You see, every time when we say eternal life, everybody has eternal life. It's the location. Nobody will die permanently. Everybody is going to live somewhere. But where? Now, if I know that where I'm going to live hereafter is sorted, unless I have compassion and empathy, boy, girl, I don't care where you're going. You know, sometimes maybe you are... Mercy. Sometimes you are getting on a flight and then maybe... You were late, you were running certain, and then somehow you just get into the flight, and then they, you know that the, the, what do you call it, the cabin, whatever, begins to come closing, and then you can see that there were like two or three people behind you who didn't actually make it. Do you understand? You can look and move on, and somebody can look and be like, oh, you know, or something, even on the bus. Do you understand? Literally. I think that um, we have godly bus drivers, and we have demonic bus drivers. Okay, I can see that this matter is a very sensitive matter. <laughs> I feel like I look up, I've, I've touched the wrong nerve. I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I feel like, you know. Listen, when the day I started driving on the streets of London was because of a demonic bus driver. So, Reverend went to, traveled, and that time I had like a six-month-old baby, and the plan, the normal plan is that I put my six-month-old baby in a push chair, and then I go to the bus stop, and then we try and handle ourselves. You close, you know how you close the, this thing, you carry it, just you carry this one, and then you balance yourself, and then you go, this thing. then I'll take him to childcare, and then I'll catch the bus, and go to work, and then come back, gather my um, possession, and then catch the bus and go home. And I, I think this was so the Monday, the first Monday. So before Reverend traveled, obviously you put in the boots and then they drive, and then, you know. Okay, there was no boots, there was no. With a lot of the second day, I was okay. The third day, Pastor Sam, I came out of the side road to the main road. The bus stop would be maybe about 20 steps. I'm pushing the thing. The bus driver has seen me. I am pleading. And, you know, and he too, you could see me. Me too, I could see him. And I was like, brother, I'm right here. Oh, he made the one or two people get on the bus. And then he shut the bus door. And then he moved. We we'll have to see him and give him an offering. Because that's, that's not for this conversation. So, Reverend William, I turned around because I was going to be late to work, late to everything was going to. I turned around, went back to the apartment, went upstairs, took the car keys, came down. Said a prayer, Heavenly Father, thank you for the cross of the folded the um, what was it? Push it, put it there. I was going to say staple the child, <laughs> strap the child in the car seat. Sat, you see, you people don't understand what I'm talking about because South London driving is not the same as Leeds driving. You you don't get it. On the Woolworth Road, you don't drive like you're driving on Bailey Road or Cardigan. So I 
sat, put him there, said prayer, told God that. <laughs> and then. <laughs> and the journey was probably about 10 minutes, 15 minutes to the child minder's house. And then I went there, packed, did all, went upstairs, gave to the lady. And then I said, is it okay to leave my car downstairs? She said, hey, car. I said, mm, car, 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 nothing but car. Parked there. And then I took the train and went to work, came back, drove back. And I think it was in the evening or in the afternoon, I called him. I said, all your wishes have come true. <laughs> yeah. So as for me and bus drivers, honestly, a bus driver who has empathy will at least say, this Yes, and knows that at this time of the morning, a nursing mother doing this is going to work. This is not the time where mothers, you know, go for sightseeing. This is a time that, and I probably was dressed in a way that you know that I'm going to work. But what a blessing it was, because if he hadn't driven off, maybe today I'll still not be driving. <laughs> because it's nice when you have someone to drive you. I pray that we will have empathy. We are going to look at it. Then there's a last one, which is called altruism. I said today the fasting. Today the fasting. Altruism. So altruism is also another part of it. But that one is, okay, let me give you the definition. i explain. It says that it's an unselfish regard for or devotion to the welfare of others. A-L-T-R-U-I-S-M. I know some of you haven't heard the word before, but it's okay. Today, we are learning. You. You're welcome, David. Altruism refers to a quality which is possessed by people whose focus is on something other than themselves. The attitude of caring about others and doing acts that help them although you may not get anything out of doing those acts. Did you get that? No. So altruism is where you actually, do. remember I told you that compassion is a desire, but not necessarily that you do. Altruism you do, but the risk with altruism is that you may not have compassion. You just have, so I'll give you a good example. We have all these institutions and companies and whatever who do a lot of charity, philanthropic, it's not necessarily coming out of a place of compassion. <laughs> Do you understand? Or even is to belong and to, be, to appear representative. Or Do you understand? Now you have a lot of institutions that are so desperate, they want to recruit black staff. It's not like they like black people. So ultimately, for us, we want to have all three. That we have the understanding, the feeling, the emotion. We have the desire to do something, and we do something about it. Because our example is Jesus. He felt their pain. He wanted to do something about their pain, and he did something about their pain. Matthew 9. Reverend, I was wondering when you were going to start reading scriptures. Hey. Are you okay now? I'm here. Matthew 9, we're going to read from the NLT. Verse 35 to 38, the Bible says, Jesus traveled all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. I believe that the way 36 and 37 are, you can realize that he's talking about a particular kind of workers. Because he saw the crowd and he was moved with compassion at how helpless they were, how confused they were. And he's telling the disciples that, hey, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest 
ask him to send more workers into his fields. But he wants workers who will be moved by compassion. Do you understand? Your manner of life must be include this because that was something that Jesus had. And that is the kind of workers he wants. That is the kind of Christians he wants. That is the kind of leaders he wants. You cannot be a shepherd, a minister, a Christian, a fulfilled Christian if you don't have compassion. You know, when we looked at the word altruism, we realized that when you even go to the step of helping, being there, it doesn't mean you're going to get anything out of it. And that is why last week we were looking at joyfully selfless. Because if you are thinking of what you get up of it, even if it's just thank you or gratitude, you may not get it. Instead of thank you, you may get insult. If you have been a Christian, a church leader for a while, and you are not, you haven't acclimatized to that situation, you are in trouble. Your compassion must never run out because you need it always. Because we don't define who will show compassion to. God does. The Holy Spirit guides us. And what if the Holy guides you to somebody who's really annoying you? Jesus was full of compassion. And when you look at the book of Psalms, you realize that David saw God in that light. There are so many scriptures, maybe look at one or two, where he will always say that full of compassion. Full of compassion. One of the things you realize about that is means that your compassion can be measured in a container. Because if you have somebody who has full compassion, then you can be empty. You can be half. Oh, you don't get what I'm saying. <laughs> Psalm 86, the Bible says in verse 15, but you, O Lord, are a God, New King James, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in mercy and truth. You, can, you know, when you said, oh, show mercy, you know, be graceful, you know, be patient. If you don't have compassion, these things cannot come. Because if somebody treats you in a certain way and now you have an opportunity that they too, they are frying, the natural self is to watch them fry. You have to find something in yourself, pull out some compassion somewhere to show mercy. Yeah. Oh, you don't get what I'm saying? Ooh. Our Christian virtues, they are tested always and everywhere. Everywhere, everywhere. And I think that especially charismatic Christians, we cannot cover our bad manner of life with tongues or with appearing spiritual. Because it's really sad that some of us have parents who have served God for 40 years. They don't look like people on fire. They don't look even spiritual. But you can see from their manner of life that they've been consistent. They've been temperate. They've always been kind. They've always been nice. Most of us here, when we have conversations, all of us come to the same conclusion that our parents help people that they didn't even have a clue about. They almost enjoyed it to a fault. Yeah. And then we that we are filled with the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost is defined in the, uh, John 14, John 15, in Corinthians, as the comforter. So I don't know, the Holy Spirit in you, he doesn't comfort anybody. Tell somebody, how full is your compassion container? <laughs> you know how when toothpaste or bathing uh, liquid, what is it? Shower gel or washing up liquid. Sometimes there's small left. Then you have to go and mix it with water. You want to get the last. Some of us have compassion. Now we have gone. <laughs> I can't remember if it was T.T. Jackson who was saying that. Since his child, one of the things he can't throw away is empty toothpaste. <laughs> he says it took him a long while. His wife had to counsel him. They had to get help that at some point when nothing is coming, it's time to throw it away. He said, no. And then as I was listening to that, I realized that, hey, me too, I have that sickness small. <laughs> but I pray that our compassion is not like an empty toothpaste. 
squeeze, there's nothing. Let's go to Wilco and buy, you know, stock up. Hey, Reverend. <laughs> Reverend Sam, can we buy some boxes of toothpaste and then come today? We'll put it in the foyer for Sunday. Sunday, there'll be free toothpaste. <laughs> You see how we are laughing about an empty toothpaste. Can you imagine if heaven is looking at our compassion that we have cut it, we have cleared it, there is inside, we have rinsed it with water. Hmm. Psalm 145 verse 8 says that the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. Compassion will not dwell or settle in a place where there is so much anger and unforgiveness. Where anger and unforgiveness thrives, compassion cannot thrive. But all of them cannot thrive in the same place. I want our walk with God must become who we are, even when no one is looking. Who we are, even when we are unconscious. You see, when our, in our conscious state, especially in the house of God, we know how to behave. Praise God, praise God. I mean, we are good. But that is not the But your natural self, the way you have an anointing to be so unforgiving, you cannot be compassionate. Yeah, you cannot. Yeah. And the people who need compassion most, I also have a great ability to cause anger. To bring you to the point. Today I sent a message to um, Minister Bila because I realized that, you see, one thing about me is that anything I'm teaching is also for me. So I also have to be able to apply it. So Reverend Sam, this, if, uh, late this afternoon, I was reading through a couple of scriptures, thinking through, then I got a text message and the person says, come now. Yes, yes, I know. Come now. There wasn't, hello, Reverend, how are you? I'm checking. No, 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 come now. So I was first about to type. <laughs> then I sent it to Mr. Bill and I said, can you do? <laughs> no, no, the worst thing was that when I sent it to Bill, she responded and said she had been told, come now. <laughs> But you see, we need to look past that because what the person is saying is a desperate situation. So actually, we need to come now. <laughs> I don't know why people are laughing. So we have to humble ourselves because we are servants of God. We are ministers. Whether they say, please, can I have a cup of tea? Or they say, can I have, listen, those of us who have done waitressing, when people come and they um, give me a glass of, you don't say, uh, add, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you run quickly and go and bring the ice and the drink. Yeah. We are servants in the house of God. As far as she's concerned, you must come, must come. now. <laughs> yeah, but um, Bila gave her an answer. You gave her an answer. Yeah, so and you're going to see her, but not now. Gee. <laughs> You are laughing at our situation. A lot of us in this room, there are people who even have backslidden. They need you to come now. First Kings 8. See, when he tensed you, when he was me, he thought it was funny. Hey, Reverend, come now. <laughs> you to come now. First Kings 8, 50 and 51. I'm going to read the message Bible. It says that, forgive your people who have sinned against you. Forgive their gross rebellions and move their captives to treat them with compassion. They are, after all, your people and your precious inheritance, whom you rescued from the heart of that iron smelting furnace. Itch it. The scripture is saying that, yes, God, you are forgiving us, but move the heart of those 
who are also oppressing us to treat us with compassion. And he's saying that, after all, they are also your people and your precious inheritance whom you rescued from Egypt. We shouldn't allow the world to give those that God has sent to us more compassion than we would give. So if God wants to rescue them from the world, he needs our compassion. So he said, move their hearts. So God is moving our hearts so that we'll have compassion towards people that maybe we naturally wouldn't have compassion for. Because they too, God wants them. They too, they deserve salvation. They too, they deserve mercy. And say that, you see, we have been forgiven. We have received compassion. Now we are in a place to also show compassion. Mm. All the people that God sends us to, or will send us to, or has already sent us to, will depend on our compassion. Will depend. Some of us this week, between now and Sunday, there are people that we need to go and try out this message on. Which means that the kind of compassion we are talking about must be moved by God. Not by secular. You know, sometimes maybe there's an incident in the world and people are moved and they give. People are moved and they help. People are moved and they're, you know, like maybe 9-11 or Ukraine. You know, all those things are help, which is needed. But as a Christian, you should be moved by God to show compassion. Which means that if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, who is going to prompt you? Who is going to... You see, sometimes God will bring into your remembrance a name, a person, a situation. Don't just wait and say, hey, why was I thinking about Joanna? Why? God is the one who has placed her, her on your mind. Why Joanna has gone? The only Joanna I know is very far. Mercy. Okay. Okay. Joanna. Joe, I'll call you. I don't know what Reverend is saying, but if <laughs> you see how Reverend wants to pressurize me, but it, it won't come on at all. Hosea 11. How many will allow ourselves to be moved? Yeah. We have to. What a joy. When you are a compassionate person, you, even your own personal challenges become minute. Become minute. Let me tell you something. The more you are exposed to help others, the more blessed you are. Yeah. The more privileged you are. Hosea 11. The Bible says in verse 8 and 9, the NLT, Oh, how can I give you up, Israel? How can I let you go? How can I destroy you like Adma or demolish you like Zebion? My heart is torn within me and my compassion overflows. No, I will not unleash my fierce anger. I will not completely destroy Israel. Why? For I am God and not a mere mortal. I am the Holy One living among you and I will not come to destroy you. Remember we said that Compassion can be measured. When we read Psalm 145 and Psalm 112, Psalm 112, they are all full of compassion. Now you can also have overflow. So you can have a full cup, but you can also have an overflow. You see how we want overflow of anointing, we want overflow of blessing, we want overflow. We should also want overflow of compassion. But he's saying that, no, I will not unleash my fierce anger. I will not destroy them. And the reason why that overflowing compassion is there is that he says, for I am God and not a mere mortal. Which means that the more you become spiritual, the more compassionate and merciful you become. The more and more we become more like him, the more we, we, are, we are growing in his image, the more we become compassionate. Because he's saying that hey, mere mortals they can't handle. Which means in ourselves, in our carnal state, we cannot have an overflow of compassion. There is, as a Christian, you have to realize that there are realms you get into. 
Yes, we are still in our mortal body, but spiritually we are stronger, we are bigger, we are giants. So you must begin to realize that you have a side of you that is not mortal. And that is the side that can have an overflow of compassion. But as for the mere mortal, please. You know, BDM said that the big institutions they give because of um, tax purposes. Even though when they are doing their presentation, we are bringing 200 boxes of, we are building a new this year. If that government or if governments stop giving that tax breaks, we'll see whether they'll still go and stand and say we present 200 boxes and we are building. All of us. Because where God needs our compassion to shine, many people will not see. Many people will not see. Do you get what I'm saying? No, no, no. If you, are, if you are sitting on a bus or you're in a shop or you're in school, you're at a workplace and somebody is going through something and you are moved to help, to counsel, to assist, or nobody will see. Nobody will see. It's different from the one that you can paste. I know that now, hey, now they do selfie on everything, isn't it? You can do helping Reverend Sam with... <laughs> <laughs> Let me give the last one, so, so that because I said I'll give it, so that we'll close. How many of us have enjoyed manner of life? Yeah. Then let's look at this last one. Not lazy. Not, I thought we should end on that one. Wasn't what do you think? Do you think it's a good one to end on? Not lazy. What do we mean by lazy? Unwilling to work. Unwilling to exert effort. Unwilling to exert energy. Unwilling to work. Slothful. Your manner of life should be one that you are hardworking and diligent. I was looking through scripture at a point I stopped. There are over 116 places where it talks about laziness. The topic is a big issue. The topic, the topic is a big, big, big issue. It's not, it's not one that you, you can joke around with at all. And the problems they had then is the same problems we have now. Yeah. When we go home, please, let's just, when we are lying down, take Romans 12 and just read through, okay? I wish I could read through, but I'm not going to be able to read through. So, but I'll pick a few things because this thing is not. <laughs> so it was talking about the body and all the gifts that God has given us. And um, I'll start from... Verse 9. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate, we are reading the NLT. Hate what is wrong. Hold tight to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. My, my aim for this series and everything we talk about is a level of genuineness in whatever. And take delight in honoring each other. Verse 11. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Ooh. Rejoice in our confidence or be patient in trouble. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Can you have even see how your laziness even affects your compassion and Hey, hey, lazy people, you have no idea. Mm. 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 Verse 21 says that, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. I just want us to look at three scriptures, then we'll go home. Proverbs 19, verse 15 says, laziness will cast one into a deep sleep. Okay. <laughs> And an idle person will suffer hunger. Laziness will cast one into a deep sleep. It's like life will pass you by. Life will, life will pass. When you wake up, you are 45. When you wake up, you are 60. You see, every time you, say, you think you are laughing, wake up, wake up, don't sleep. Because the more you are sleeping, laziness is just resting upon you. Hmm. Proverbs 10, 26. The Bible says that as vinegar to the teeth, 
and smoke to the eyes. So is the lazy man to those who send him. Have you ever sent somebody that you wish you had done it yourself? Clean this place. When you can't see the mess and then the work you have to do to correct their own before you even start cleaning. Those who have young children who are about four or five. Sally, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, pick up after yourself. Yes, mommy. Then they'll go and pour more crisps on the floor, pour more popcorn. Then they'll mix it with water. And, then and now, yeah. They say the way vinegar is to the teeth. Have you, put vine- have you tried to drink vinegar? You know, there was a season when it was supposed to be for weight loss. Hey, the woman was drinking the vinegar. <laughs> you have no idea. Some were drinking it, quash, quash, quash. Some were diluting it small, small. Lemon. Yeah, but revelation came and they realized the thing wasn't true. <laughs> and smoke to the eyes. Have you been in a smoky room or, you know, in the kitchen or whatever, and smoke gets in there? It says that, that it is, that's how it is like when you send a lazy person. If God is sending us to the world, are we putting smoke in his eyes and his teeth like vinegar? As he has sent us, go ye. And he's looking at the lazy people. Say, <laughs> you see, when we are thinking about the laziness, we are thinking about it in terms of, oh, I get up and I go to work. And, but some of us, when it comes to the things of God, we are lazy. We can work for 16 hours. We can do night shift, day shift, morning shift, afternoon shift. No problem. No, but two hours in church. An extra hour meeting, go on visitation, go on evangelism. We are doing so winning. We are having experience. We are having this uh, contagious. Uh, I'll come, but you know, me ask for these kind of things. It is laziness in the things of God. So it means that we can be spiritually lazy and physically hardworking. And we are putting smoke in God's eyes. We are causing God to drink vinegar. You see, when the people wanted to spite our Savior on the cross, they went to bring vinegar. And, we, and when we go, we are pointing fingers at them that, hey, didn't they know Savior? We are here on earth, and we are still... Where's the place we come quiet? The Tell somebody by you, my manner of life is changing. I think I should just give the last verse to go because the place is, I don't like your atmosphere towards this topic. The way you are behaving, I feel like I'm saying something that I shouldn't say. I'm sorry. Proverbs 24. (laughs) Proverbs 24. We read from verse 30 to 34. It says that, I went by the field of the lazy man. And by the vineyard of a man devoid of understanding. So it means lazy people and those who don't have understanding, they work the same way. (laughs) The one who doesn't understand and the one who is lazy. He says that, and there it was in the vineyard, all overgrown with thorns. That's how the church can be overgrown with thorns, when we become lazy. Have you seen a garden? That is overgrown with thorns. Have you seen a farm that is overgrown with thorns? Have you seen a family that is overgrown with thorns? Its surface was covered with nettles. It pricks. Its stone wall was broken down. It takes a level of laziness for a wall, a stone wall to be able to come down. You must really, really neglect it. You have to neglect it long enough for it because it's a stone wall. It didn't even say what? Stone wall. But a level of laziness can bring it down. <laughs> when I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and I received instruction. May you receive instruction. Amen. A little sleep. A little slumber. A little folding of the hands to rest. Not that we have just folding our hands. There's a reason for folding our hands. <laughs> Which is very legitimate. To rest. So shall your poverty come. Like a prowler. And your need like an armed robber. A little sleep. Can't be bothered. I can't help. That's my uh, 
Yeah. The church, you see, when the church is poor, it means there are no souls. The wealth of the church is salvation. It's not our riches that we have been blessed, we have had breakthrough, we have grown, we have had whatever, whatever. No, 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 no. That folding of the arms where souls are concerned is what makes the church poor. The church is not dealing with dollar or pound or CD or Naira currency. No, no, no. And he's saying that we took a little rest. The Bible says that work while it is day for the night cometh when no man can work. This season that we are all in is our season of day. A time will come when we cannot. That's rest. That is why he says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The only place we get real rest is in him. And in him, when we get that rest, we take on a new role. It doesn't mean that there's nothing to do. He says that now, let me take your yoke. Let me take your burden. Let me give you my yoke. Let me give you my burden. Either way, you're going to have a yoke. Either way, you're going to have a burden. Either way, you're going to exert energy. Either way, you're going to have to work. Either way, you're going to be doing something. May the Lord help us. Exodus 10, verse 18, the Bible says, because of laziness, the house decays, and through idleness of hands, the house leak. May this house not leak. May this house not decay. May your Christian life not decay. May it not leak. May your home not decay. May it not leak. You will not be lazy. You will not be lazy. You will overcome the spirit of laziness. The Holy Spirit will quicken you. He will quicken your mortal bodies. The Lord will put in you a desire. A desire for him. A desire for the things of God. Rise up onto your feet.